This is a case from the Shoyoroku, <coughs> Deshan's completion of study. Introduction. The clear ground where there is not an inch of grass for 10,000 miles deludes people. The clear sky without a speck of cloud in the eight directions still fools you. Even though this is using a wedge to remove a wedge, it doesn't prevent taking space and hanging it in space. A single hammer blow to the back of the head. Observe this appropriate technique. The main case. Great Master Yuan Ming of Deshan said to the assembly, when you get to the ultimate end, you just find that the Buddhas of all times have their mouths hung on a wall. There is still someone who laughs. Ha, ha. If you know this one, the task of study is complete. The verse. Gathering in, holding the throat closed, wind polishes, clouds wipe, the waters are chill, the weather is autumn. Do not say brocade-colored fish lacks rich taste. Fishing through the ocean waves, one hook of moon. We just chanted Hakuin Song of Zazen that this no mind is the voice of the Dharma. What is the voice of the Dharma? How does it sound? Who sings it? Who sings it? Who has the ability to hear it? How far are we? Of course, when we begin, it seems eons away from where we are, time, space, definitely not here, definitely not yet, right? or at least we are convinced. So we get on this path and we begin to explore. We look for it. But as we look for it, what we end up finding over and over again is what we brought with us to the practice. We end up facing the same thoughts again. Same challenges, same emotions. Does this mean we're not moving along the path? Does this mean we're not practicing? Should we give up? It does feel this way at times that we want to give up because I'm getting nowhere with this. But who says you have to get somewhere with this? Right? Whose idea is it? What are we looking for? Isn't that the issue? Right? To look deeply into 
What do we want out of this? Or in other words, maybe what do we want to let go of? What do we think the obstacle is or the obstacles are that are preventing us from hearing the voice of the Dharma? Now, Zen study is a, it's quite a peculiar endeavor. We engage in all sorts of practices. Right? Each one of them have very specific characteristics, which seem odd at the beginning. A couple of you are new to this today. And uh, you jumped into full-blown practice. which we should commend you for this, that you're still here, did not run away. Sometimes we want to run away, so... <laughs> it happens. And there's a lot of, many, a lot of aspects, many aspects that are new, strange, odd. But what's important with all, about all these aspects is not so much why? As much as, how do I pay attention to this? How do I practice this? Rather than, what do I think about that? Right? This, is, this is the negligent part of practice. What do I think about it is secondary. Primary to all this is, how do I engage in this fully? How do I lose that which says, or that says, why am I practicing, why am I doing it? Why this and not that? And the answer is exactly there. How do I lose? I focus on what I'm doing. I pay attention to that. I make that the primary. I own my attention. The attention is often hijacked by what we perceive through the six senses. Hijacked right away by what we think, what we smell, what we touch, what we hear, what we see. And our job here, our task, is to, to keep bringing it back to what's at hand. Only to what is, what's at hand, not to what we Think about what's going on. That's the secondary. Why do we care about it is something we can examine. Why do we care so much about what we think about what's going on? Right? And that's what we need to examine. So all kinds of aspects, right? All kinds of intricate practices traditional practices that we are required to pay attention to, whether it's ceremonies, whether it's kinhin, observing every aspect of kinhin, every aspect of bowing, sitting, getting up, and of course, orioki, right? how we have lunch together, we just had lunch, it's great. But maybe the mind comes and says, who needs all this? 
Just put the food on the table, I'll eat it. I know how to do that. Why go through all this? Why wait for the person in front of me to finish whatever it is that they're doing before I can nod, bow, eat? I'll eat, and then he or she will eat. Right, so all these questions, they come up. I just gave a talk last week at a place, another place, and then we had a <coughs> short discussion, and somebody was there, and during the talk, I kind of raised some questions, as we do often in, in Teshos, and one guy said, I think I have the answers to some of those questions. And then I said, well, I did not raise them for you to answer. I just raised them for you to look. Questions are there to point in the right direction. Because any answer we bring is already pregnant with another question. But we won't answer. I got the answers. I can tell you why we do this, this, or that. There are reasons, but that's not the voice of the Dharma. It's a different voice, which we should also pay attention to and learn how to work with it. Learn how to not obey it. This is why we ask to not obey the impulse to move during Zazen. To give it some space, to allow it to subside, it intensifies and eventually subsides, like everything. Right? There is that crescendo, goes up and up and up and up and up and then it goes so high, it's going to end up going down anyway, so can you wait it out? We're all old enough to know that that's the nature of things, right? They happen, they pick up momentum, sooner or later they subside, then we look back and think, why did I make such a big issue out of this? Obviously it didn't kill me, I'm alive. It was intense, but I learned that I can go through that. Right? So to not give give in, to not give in to the impulse, to scratch the itch, to not give in to the impulse to voice a judgmental thought, right? to examine it, to look at it, to let it, to be curious about it maybe, to be curious about how it picks up momentum, how it wants everything. And then what happens when we don't give it anything? Right? So to be curious about that process and then see it slowly move into the background and then something else comes up. To not bring a thought to the mouth. So essential. 
Right? But to not bring a thought to the mouth is actually to not make a thought take over your hand and scratch the itch. It's the same. Or the thought that says, the hell with this. I just want to have lunch quietly, peacefully. Why all this? There's so much beauty in this, in, in, in Oyoki. Every time we eat together, I feel this amazing, intense wave of gratitude. Just gratitude. Yeah, even in waiting until everybody finishes the food, and yes, there's always a couple of people who are a little slower than what we may want them to be. But why is that an issue? Why can't we just sit there and experience and appreciate being together, sharing a meal together, practicing together? Why can't we just sit there and listen to the voice of the Dharma rather than to the voice of the judgment? It's a choice. It's a choice. Where is the voice of the dog? Right? So we do all this, you know, the practice. Everything we do is ultimately is aimed to clarify something. Is aimed to get us beyond words, beyond thinking. Right? Bodhidharma called it a special transmission outside of words and scriptures, outside of thoughts, beyond words and scriptures, beyond thoughts. Where is beyond? How do we get to beyond from this? It's very easy to get lost in the intricate details of practice and rather than get beyond, actually get stuck in the details. But maybe not so much in the details as much as our judgments about the details. I mean, the details are fine. They're free of us. They don't have a thought in them. When it's time to bow, bow. When it's time to pick up the ball, pick it up. Pick up your chopsticks, eat. Easy, simple. But then it becomes so quickly, so cumbersome. We eat, but then at the same time engage in lots and lots of thinking. And we become heavier and heavier with every bite rather than become lighter and lighter with every bite. All these thoughts are add-ons. So what we're trying to do, what we're working with is losing that. Not adding, not creating 
But arriving at beyond, right here, right now, and arriving at beyond through re realizing that we ourselves add anything that is not beyond. Right? Many times I said that to, to feel stuck is not to be stuck. To feel lost is not to be lost. There is the feeling of being stuck and there is the feeling of being lost. And yet, there is beyond. Beyond the feeling of being lost or being stuck. always available. As long as we don't make something out of practice. As long as we don't make something out of nothing, essentially. To make something out of nothing. You know, we had Jukai a couple of weeks ago for Hokai. And I asked us all to, at the beginning of Jukai, to, whether or not we've been here before, we've seen ceremonies before, to put it all aside and see it for the first time. Be here for the first time. Right? See it as fresh and as new. Right? Which, is, which is a very odd request, right? Because what are we asking? To put aside what? You know, to, to ask ourselves, of ourselves, to see this as fresh and new, brand new, is by itself strange. Because it is true that we have never been here before. It is true that we have never experienced this before. Not as a belief system. Not from this point on, I'd like you to believe that you've never been here before. Why don't you look at it and prove it that you've been here before? Try. Many have. Maybe even much smarter than us and arrived at the same conclusion. I think the question is really when do, the, when do we arrive at that conclusion and how much damage we cause until that time. Because we have to look back and then do some damage control, pick up the pieces and, you know, because when you realize that, then you realize what you have done up to that point, you realize the futility of thinking that it is different than that. Thinking that we have been here before. Right? Holding on to an idea of separateness. So what Zen is asking us to do is not so unrealistic. It is bold, though. 
He definitely is bold, but it's not unrealistic. It's bold because we come into practice convinced, convinced that we know. And essentially, practice is telling us, no, we don't know. We also come into practice with a belief that if we don't know, that's a problem. That we must know. And then the practice is telling us, no, it's fine. You don't know, but it's okay. You're not meant to know. Why do you think you need to know? Also, why do you think that in order to function and experience, you need to know anything? Unknowable. It is unknowable. Yet fully experienced. And the experience doesn't make it more known in the way we want it to be known. But it does open us as to the voice of the Dharma. It does open us to beyond. That it does. But it will not explain anything. That is guaranteed. Come here, sit down, you'll get nothing out of it. Even the Buddha actually said so he had people come to him often with all kinds of questions intricate questions about the universe, about this, about that. You just look at it and say, I never promise I'm going to explain any of this. This is not what it's about. All I'm saying, he said, here's what I tried. Here's what I succeeded with, right? I got deeply into that. I realized. And I'm telling you that you can realize too. That's all he said. In many ways. But we never promised to answer all the questions. You know, there's a worn-out phrase that points at the truth of never being here before, right? You never step into the same river, the same river twice. You cannot step into the same river twice the first time, but it looks the same to the naked eye, but obviously flow is flow. Even the stagnant river, by the way, works the same way, not the same. So everything we do, everything we do is designed to clear up the clutter we experience, the clutter we brought with us. Or maybe even the clutter we create on a momentary basis on the cushion, that too. If we turn to the practice, it will help us clarify, clear it up. And it is aimed at the source beyond all appearances. But if we think we're not there, then we think we're going to get there later. And then if we think we're going to get there later, 
then of course that brings up the question, what about this mess? Until I get there, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with the issues I'm facing on a daily basis? Thinking I am deluded or not yet quite realized, what do I do in the meantime? Well, this is what we do. We train in that. We train in sitting when we sit, standing up when we stand up, eating when we eat, bowing when we bow, drinking tea when we drink tea. That's the training. And even when we take a break, it's not a break. Well, it shouldn't be a break, right? Because if we're here to train, we're here to train. Not in rituals, but just to train, to go beyond what we think about what we see. Moment by moment. So if I take a break, where do I go? What do I do when, when, when I'm saying I'm going to take a break from looking at what's going on? I'm going to take a break of examining their rising thoughts and making sure that I don't get trapped by them. Why would I want to take a break from that? Why would we want to undo all the work we do Well, of course, the answer is because very often we find it exhausting. Right? We find the practice tiring. But it's not the practice that is tiring, it's the way we practice that makes it cumbersome or exhausting. Again, go back to lunch. You sit there, you wait. What's, what's the problem? Of course, the problem is what we don't like. And just look at how many thoughts float around in our minds. Maybe about the food. Maybe it's, it needs salt. Maybe it's too much salt. Maybe it needs more mushrooms. Who knows? It needs something. It has too much of something and not enough of another thing. Like everything else in the world. It's not quite to my liking. Not yet. I'm going to just sit here and think about it. And it's a waste of practice time. It's a waste if we don't just sit here and appreciate this. Actually appreciate being here. No before, no after. Just this. Maybe appreciating that we have never been here before, right? Because that opens us up to that. To, to realize that I've never been here before, therefore, I should pay attention. I would like to pay attention. I'm curious. It's interesting. The introduction to this Quran says, the clear ground 
where there is not an inch of grass for 10,000 miles, deludes people. The clear sky without a speck of cloud in the eight directions still fools you. And what he's saying is that the practice still fools us. Practice itself fools us, not by design. So by what? How does it fool us? Right? How do we work with this statement that the practice is fooling us? Because if we, if we understand how to work with it, it can be a very sobering statement. To realize I am fooled by what I think the practice is, is a sobering realization. Because I am not seeing what I need to practice, I am seeing a reflection of it. Or as Dogen said, we remain in the periphery of Buddhism. That's a beautiful statement, right? We remain in the periphery of Buddhism because we judge Buddhism. But we judge, fill in the blank, right? We judge whatever it is. It's not about Buddhism, it's just about reality. But this is saying that we are making something out of nothing. And to sit there and engage in thoughts or in thinking is essentially to make something out of nothing. No thing is no thing. The clear sky is just a clear sky, even with the clouds. Even when it's gray. It doesn't come with anything other than this. One scientist said that we are, most of our lives we spend, we spend um, interacting with our nervous system. Scary, isn't it? Think about it. Most of our lives we spend interacting with our nervous system. Right? That's, that's the cocoon. That's the cocoon we are here to, to, to break free of, to shatter. And to shatter is no more than to realize. Right? It's not like take a hammer and start to chip away. It, 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 only, it only has to do with realizing and just this. Just realize you're doing it now. Stop. Good. Now do it again. And do it again and do it again. It's not this huge mountain to climb. How am I going to get there? It's too big. It's too much. No. Do it now. Even now, this moment, you know, I'm speaking, you're thinking, I don't know what's going on in your heads. I don't really care, but <laughs> the problem is that you care. Too much about what you think, about what you hear. You know, the purpose of Teisho is not to give something to, something interesting to, to file in one of the boxes we carry. It's just to shed light on how we get trapped, right? And then shed light on reality. 
in an attempt to guide us in the right direction. All of us. To shed light. So in the same way we sit, right? We sit and we have to act in the same way when we move, when we engage. Act in the same way not to sit and not move, but act in the same way in looking at their rising thoughts, going nowhere with them, and allowing them to subside. And meanwhile, to choose fully to appreciate and engage with reality as is. Sum it up. That's what it's about. It's intricate, but I think you get the idea. You know, the first line of, of the uh, introduction is using the words of Master Tungshan, who at the end of a three months training period said to the monks who were there about to depart, he said, it's the end of the summer and the beginning of autumn. Some of you will go east and some west. You should go straight away to a place where there's not an inch of grass for 10,000 miles. Now grass, as you know, is delusions and entanglements. So it does sound like a great idea to go beyond, to go to a place where there is no inch of grass. Right? So we want to punch in the address in the GPS and off we go. I'd love to get there because I'm, it's driving me crazy. Fine, I get the idea that I should not really worry too much about my thoughts and everything that I experience. But still, it's there and it's weighing me down and I'd love to get away from it. And that's exactly why Tungshan said that. You should do that. You should go to a place when, where there's no inch of grass for 10,000 miles. Okay. Again, where is it? And it's not that we haven't tried. Of course, we have. I think because we have tried, because we have realized that this is futile, we ended up here. We came here to look rather than escape. But that those memories of wishing for another place, another me, come back and try to take us back to this mindset. Maybe there is. Maybe I'm missing the point. No, Tongshan also said, when it's cold, let it be so cold that it kills you. When it's hot, let it be so hot that it kills you. And when he said that, actually he gave, when he says that, he's giving the coordinates for the GPS. This is a hint. When it's driving you crazy, go deeply into it. Because wherever you go, you're going to experience that. Turn it around. Look at it. 
Examine it. Is it what you think it is? There's another koan where Master Shakyo Ezo asked Master Seido Chizo, who was his senior, do you know how to comprehend universal emptiness? Master Seido answered, of course I do. How? asked Shakyo. And Seido grasped a handful of air in his hand. After Seido showed how to grasp emptiness, Master Shakyo said, uh-huh, you have no idea how to grasp it. And so Seido challenged Shakyo to show him how to grasp universal emptiness. And Shakyo grabbed his nose and yanked it forcefully. Seido cried out in pain. This is a good example of how we misunderstand all directions, wide open, emptiness, nothingness, beyond. You want to go beyond? Here, I yank your nose. That pain you feel, that's beyond. Or at least momentarily, it's beyond your question of beyond. Because at that moment, you can bet that he wasn't thinking about the question. He was just completely immersed in feeling emptiness. Again, who says that emptiness is empty? This is how we fool ourselves. We make something out of nothing. That's how the practice fools us. And we are fooled because we have a propensity to be deceived by what we hear and see. We are fooled because of the mechanism that we bring into reality. And the trap is made out there rising judgments, connotations, and concepts. Which, of course, have very little to do with what we see or hear. The word universal emptiness, universal emptiness, are only beyond what we think they mean. And that goes for everything else. It's beyond what we think it means. So what do we do? Let go of what we think, right? Easier said than done. I'd love to let go of it, but it doesn't want to let go of me. Again, let it go, let it stay, same thing. Often, let it go means let it stay already beyond. Why worry? Right? Everything we encounter is already beyond the connotations that arise at the meeting time, at the point of encountering. It is free of the meaning we assign to it, which really only means to be the master of our attention 
right? That's all it is. Because if we are the masters of our attention, then we just don't let the attention drift in that direction. And we keep it where we choose to keep it. Right? This is much more interesting to me right now instead of what I think about this over and over again. And that becomes incrementally deepening experience. Yeah, but we have to do it over and over and over and over again. We chant the same things over and over again. And although it sounds, maybe it sounds the same, it actually doesn't, but let's say it does. It looks the same, right? When you look at the Sutra book. In reality, it's not. So in reality, it is transporting us beyond if we allow it. If we read it for the first time, and if we read it for the first time, we can actually learn from it for the rest of our lives. Because it's not how much, how many scriptures I've read. Read one, read it well. It's the same when we practice with bokeh, right? We practice cuts with bokeh. Get a hundred cuts. Do one. Not hundred repetitions. Just do one. One cut. And put everything you have into it. And then you will recognize beyond. What seems to be accumulating cannot accumulate because it is in midair. That goes, same, that goes to grasping too. It's the same thing. What seems to be grasping and holding has nothing to hold on to. So we're already freed from entanglement, but because we don't trust it to be so, we act in accordance with the notion of being entangled. In other words, we obey something. We don't obey freedom, we obey entanglement. And we act in accordance to that. Upside down. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because we're upside down. That's what he meant by that. Him, the Buddha. In the introduction is bring up the, the issue of getting entangled by practice. Even though this is using a wedge to remove a wedge, the practice is designed to remove being stuck, to, to get us out of the mud. It says it doesn't prevent taking space and hanging it in space. It's very interesting, right? It's, we take space and we hang it in space. Right? I'm, I'm willing to remove one idea as long as I can put another idea in its place. Or I'm removing, I'm willing to remove one idea of myself or one way of seeing myself if I am given another way of seeing myself, another way to identify, or another thing to identify with. But none of it comes from the practice. That's, that's all we experience, that's everything we experience as we engage in practice which is fine, as long as we don't make something out of it. 
So the advice to not make something out of anything is always essential. Here and, of course, whatever else we do, in between the times we come here, whether it's work, whether it's relationships, family, just stay with that. Stay with what's going on as long as possible. Don't go, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. That, that's what it's saying. That's what the practice is telling us. Stay, 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 and stay. Don't ask, do I like it? Does it fit me? Just stay with it and see what happens. And we try to remove the wedge of delusion, as it's saying here, with the wedge of realization. But it's, it's actually like that. If you try to, if you get stuck in the mud and you take a piece of wood and you try to, or you take the other foot maybe, that's better, right? And you try to remove, then the other foot gets stuck. It's the same mud and it's the same mechanism. So we find ourselves entangled by the very thing that is meant to free us. And then we may actually think that we arrive somewhere too, which is often more dangerous and more sticky. Even if we have some level of realization, often that, is, that could be more dangerous because then we get a glimpse of true reality. And we think we actually have arrived somewhere. We may think we're even better than others. Then we need the, you know, the hammer blow to the back of the head. That's what we need, the kick in the butt. Move, watch out, don't get stuck. You don't know anything and it's fine. It's okay, you don't have to know, but you do have to move. You do have to move. You know, the, an ancient master said, understand the meaning, but do not establish standards on your own. Right? To understand the meaning, to understand in more in the sense of standing under, to experience the meaning, but that's it. Do not make something out of it. To, make, to establish standards on your own is to, oh, now I got it, and here's what I think. Understand the meaning and leave it alone. And then allow the understanding to deepen by itself, through practice, through diligence. And watch out for the thinking mind that wants to make something out of it. So who is going to Give that single hammer blow to the back of the head. Move. That's what we do. That's what the practice does. Kicks your butt. And then sometimes people don't like that and they don't come back. I don't like that. It doesn't feel good. 
I want cozy, comfortable, warm. I want to do what I feel like doing. What are you obeying, I would ask. Do you know what, are you, what you're obeying? There's so much, it's so rich. You know, the more I practice, the more I recognize this immense beauty and this hugeness of it, or this unlimited aspect of the more you practice, the more you need to practice. It never ends. And what happens is that at some point, you lose the, the desire to arrive anywhere else. Because you realize there's just so much here for me to practice. Why would I want to go anywhere else? There's so much beauty to appreciate right here. I don't want to go anywhere else. This is fine. I'll just look around. Feel it, sense it, take it in. And welcome everybody who wants to do the same. Right? What we do is a Sangha. You know, the teacher in this koan is uh, Yuan Ming, Chinese Zen master from the 10th century, who was a Dalma heir to the great Yunmen, aka Ummon. Yunmen was the founder of one of the five schools of Zen, which lasted about 300 years. He got absorbed into Rinzai. And the Yunmen school was considered to be the most steep and challenging one of all the five schools, since it went straight up to the peak. Straight, without providing much, anything to grab onto, anything to hold onto. Now the Chinese scholar John C.H. Wu gives a lively description of Yunmen's style of teaching. And I've shared that uh, a couple of years ago, I think once to Sheen. But I'd like to bring it up again to shed light on Yuan Ming's style in this koan. So he says, Zen masters, like other people, may be divided into two types. Some are slow breathers, others are fast breathers. Of the founders of the five houses of Zen, Kuei-shan, Tung-shan, and Fai-en belong to the slow breathers, while Lin-chi and Yun-men belong to the fast breathers. Of these two, Lin-chi breathes fast enough, but Yun-men breathes much faster. Lin-chi's way is intense. He kills his foes in the heat of the battle. He utters shouts under fire. When the lion roars, all other animals take cover. No one can encounter him without his head being chopped off by him. It makes no difference whether you are Buddha, a Bodhisattva, or a Patriarch. Lin Chi will not spare you if he should chance to encounter you. So long as you bear a title to occupy any position, Lin Chi will send out his true men of no title to kill you in a split second. So terrible is Lin Chi, but more terrible is Yunmen. Lin Chi only killed those whom he happens to encounter. Yun Men's massacre is universal. 
He does away with all people, even before they are born. <coughs> to him, a true man of no title is already the second moon. Therefore, a phantom not worth the trouble of killing. Yun men seldom, if ever, resorts to shouts or beatings. Like a sorcerer, he kills by cursing. His tongue is inconceivably venomous, and what makes the case worse, he is the most eloquent of the Zen masters. It's beautiful. To the point. No time to lose. It's urgent. That's why he does that because he cares deeply about all of us. And he doesn't want us to waste one split second on not being realized or not acting from wisdom. Wake up now. He was considered the most eloquent, yet he, he knew very well that words and ideas cannot convey the experience or replace it. So he, he was very stingy with the use of words. And he actually wrote a poem describing his style. He said, Steep is the mountain of Yunmen, rising straight upward, leaving the white clouds down below, in streams dashing and eddying about. Allow no fish to linger around. The moment you step into my door, I already know what kind of ideas you brought with you. No fish linger around. No lingering. No wasting time. Get it, get it now. It, it doesn't get clearer than that. Not that everything opens up and we get everything, not that. It's just that the urgency, what I see in these words is just one word, urgency. How can I even indulge, right? How can we even indulge in thinking about liking or disliking? Does it fit my style? Does it not fit my... Who cares? Yunmen cares deeply. And he says, the moment you walk in, I already know what you... I see your mask. Do you see your mask? Are you willing to remove it? Are you willing to experience the freezing cold on your skin? Because if we're not, we're going to remain trapped. In the warmth of our stinky ideas, They're familiar. We like them. Even when we say we hate them, we actually love them. Even if we say, I can't wait to get rid of this. This is driving me crazy. I hate this. Look again, look carefully. So great master Yuan Ming of Dejan, right, the guy in this koan, said to the assembly, when you get to the ultimate end, end, sorry, end, you just find that the Buddhas of all times have their mouths hung on the wall. 
at the end, the ultimate end, you realize that's as far as it goes. Beyond this, actually beyond, beyond period. The Buddha cannot say a word. The Buddha himself cannot say a word. Because you are on your own. Because you have to experience it. Because it's beyond words. It's beyond ideas. It's beyond what you think it is. It's beyond what you think it's not. Just no words to describe it. So they're hung on the wall with their mouth open. Maybe we want to study. We think they're going to help us. Well, they're not. Because there's a point. There's a point from which we are on our own. And this is the point. Right? We come together on a regular basis. We sit together. But you are responsible for your practice. You're responsible to not lean against or on anybody. You stand on your own two feet. You put your butt on the cushion. You do the work. And you realize. You realize. We have to climb, and it's not easy. You know, it's like going to, a, you know, looking at a, a trail, right? You look at different trails to climb up a mountain, and sometimes you run into different ways, different trails, and then it says, yeah, this one is the quickest, but it's the hardest. You're going to need all four limbs. And it's going to be very steep, but you're going to get there very fast. And then there is the leisure option, the slow path. Your hands are going to be free. You can just use your legs. It's kind of like that. Yunmen style, go straight up. That's why I only survived 300 years. But the option is there, right? It is still offering. He is still offering this path. Him or the practice is offering. But we have to take it step by step, whether it's the slow or the fast or the direct or the not direct, step by step. Rather than try to jump to something, has to be step by step. Master Barfeng Zhao once said, you must be like a person who has utterly died. Having died, die again. So you practice, you go deeper, and you experience, and you do it again, and again, and again, and again. One of the monks who heard that said, Is this not returning to life from the midst of death? That's the great death, right? So Baofeng said, Just die, don't live. You hurry to defecate while you're still eating. You haven't eaten yet, so why are you asking about defecating? Why are you asking me about this? Because I want to get there. Because I don't like this. Eat. 
one bite at a time. But I want to get beyond. And that's how we get caught up. That's how we use the practice, again, using the words of Dogen, to tie ourselves without a rope. Beyond. Where is beyond, right? And then he ends. There is still someone who laughs. If you know this one, your task of study is complete. Now we have to understand this completeness. It's complete, yet it is going to be practiced for the rest of your life. You're not done. You just know how to practice. Nothing is concluded, ever. But we have to trust. And I think that often people quit because they don't trust, because they lose the trust. And then we trust the habits. I'll finish with uh, the saying by Master Rinzai. He said, if your faith is insufficient, you will keep on wandering in confusion. No matter what the circumstances, you will be controlled and led around by others. If your faith is insufficient, just look at that. You will not find freedom. Because you don't have enough confidence in yourself, you search outwardly. But we have to be careful because this is, again, this is going to be making something out of nothing if we're not careful. What does it mean to trust oneself? What does it mean to have enough confidence? You know, I think sometimes we look at people and we think, they, it looks like they have a lot of confidence. They're very sure of themselves. Yet they act like maniacs. Is that what it means? They leave behind all kinds of suffering. And we see a lot of that these days. Is that self-confidence? Yeah, that is self. Not much confidence. That's not knowing anything. So to know to have sufficient faith is to trust beyond what the mind says. Or maybe to lose trust in the mind, in the thoughts, in me. Yeah, maybe that, to lose trust in myself. Or in whatever I know about myself. And then, open up from there. So yes, it is, it is intricate, it is complex, it, is, it appears to be a lot. But let's just take it one step at a time and let's not make it more than realizing where is the attention needed, moment by moment, and then giving the attention to what's needed.
Not more than that, not less than that.